Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram. I love that movie podcast, and we have a Patreon. Uh, the show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. And for as little as a dollar a month, you get extra bonus content where I give my weekly roundup of everything else I'm watching. And lately, we've been covering The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're actually, I think we just wrapped that up by the time you hear this, and we'll be talking about Loki soon. So um, we've talked about The Mandalorian, WandaVision, and I have guests on there too. Uh, just kind of everything that doesn't fit into the movie category you can find on the Patreon. And I want to take a moment to thank my top patrons. They are Chris Balga, Jeff Woodman, Philip Barker, and Michael Cross. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. Um, and if you like what you hear today, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. Uh, and I've got a new guest, uh, not a new guest, a returning guest. <laughs> Let me say that again. <laughs> I've got a returning guest with me here today. I have Colin. Say hi, Colin. Hi. So, Colin, um, this is, uh, it's happened a couple times on the show, but this is a case where we're talking about a sequel, right? That's right. Yeah, we uh, watched the uh, original film. Before Sunrise uh, a while ago, and now I'm back to talk about the sequel Before Sunset. Hooray! And uh, Colin, if people haven't heard that episode, and they should totally go back and listen to that first, but if they haven't heard you on the show before, can you introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. My name is Colin. I am uh, here in, uh, the traditional name is Mokinsis in Southern Alberta here. My pronouns are he, him, they, them. And I uh, am a big movie buff. Watch movies is my, watching movies has always been my favorite uh, thing since I was a kid, and uh, I certainly carry that into my adulthood um, as uh, the, my favorite activity to do. And I'm very excited. Cinemas are back open again, which is yes. uh, a thrill oh, after all this time. Yeah, so in some parts where I am, they're opening up, which is uh, exciting, and it's uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing things on the big screen again. Yeah, it's impossible to replace that feeling, I think. And I've been back a couple times here in Texas, and it's been really nice. And every time I go, no one's there. So it's like the safest activity, too, if you're still kind of nervous, because <laughs> there's yeah, just that, not a lot out right now. <laughs> that's what I was feeling. So they did open for a while here last summer when things were a bit calmer and it was like that the theaters were about you know 10 people maybe total all sitting really far apart so it did feel quite safe so with them being closed again I've missed that experience I'm looking forward to getting back there's some 
fun looking films coming out this summer. So mm-hmm. I think it'll be great to be able to be back. And I've been grateful that there's been the opportunity to watch movies at home uh, in ways that we maybe haven't had so much of in the past. And that's exciting too. Um, I know that for some people getting out to the theater can be really challenging. So it's nice to have those options. But as you said, there's there's really nothing like going to the movies in the cinema. So I'm excited to return. Agreed. I think like now we kind of make choices like um, The Conjuring 3 just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I made a choice. I was mm-hmm. like, I could go to the theater, but it is on HBO Max. So I stayed home, you know, and I was kind of like, I really like the, for some reason, especially with horror, I kind of like the idea of like being on my couch, turning all the lights off and, you know, so like, that's kind of how it's been. But I saw a nobody in theaters, you know, so it kind of just depends on the film. Um, And I think that's probably how it's going to be going forward. People will just make choices, but it's great having that option. I I completely agree. And my wallet is kind of happy too. So. Um, (laughs) but Colin, so, you know, my guest always picks the movie and we already talked about you picked before sunset. Uh, so I'm assuming based on our last conversation that you were like first in line to get your ticket when this came out. So I was, I uh, was living in New York city at the time and I was, when it, when it was coming out, I was very excited. I had, um, convinced a friend of mine who'd never seen, uh, before sunrise to come with me, uh, and we uh, we got our tickets, and yeah, I was there first day, which was um, it was just super fun. I was also uh, far away from uh, from my family and friends because I had been living in New York for a little while, and um, and it was it, the film just resonated for me, and I and I think I said this when we watched the first film. I'm the same age as the characters in the film, so it felt like a lot of the things that they wrestle with in this film in terms of sort of where they're at in their life just really resonated for me at the time because, because I was sort of at that place at the same time. That's always, I I think that always has a big impact on how you feel about a film, you know, when you actually can relate that well to the characters. Um, And, you know, 32 is behind me now, but (laughs) <laughs> when they talk about that age in the movie, I'm like, yeah, I can really relate to that. Or she's 32, right? And he's in his 40s, I think. Um, I, or thought, are they I always the same age? understood they were, them to be close to the same age. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't remember from the first film, but I remember her saying how old she is in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I uh, I think that that, you know, even though I'm not the same age when I see it, um, I definitely remember and thinking about a lot of the things that they talk about. Um, and it's just so interesting because in the first one, you know, they're wrestling with growing up and all the possibilities and they're kind of a little more starry eyed, a little more romantic in the first one. Yes. And then in this one, they're so different, but still themselves. And it, it's pretty like age appropriate. I totally agree. Right. They're starting to get a little bit more jaded. They've had some bumps in the road. They, um, you know, are are struggling with what they thought of and now having to re-examine a lot of that. And again, at that point in your life is often a time when you really are dealing with all of that. And so, again, like for me, it just really resonated. And even as I look back on it now, um, it's still sort of very similar sort of thing. I can reflect back and, and remember that time in my life and, 
and the disillusionment I was starting to feel, all of those kind of things. Yeah. So with with that said, you know, not that there's like a ton of spoilers in this movie that we could talk about. I mean, it's like, you know, it, it's kind of like a slice of life type of film. So I don't think people are too worried about that. But if you are, if you haven't seen the movie before, I recommend going and watching it and coming back. Um, and if you're still here, here is the summary. Uh, a sequel to Before Sunrise, this film starts nine years later as Jesse travels across Europe, giving readings from a book he wrote about the night he spent in Vienna with Celine. After his reading in Paris, Celine finds him and they spend part of the day together before Jesse has to again leave for a flight. They are both in relationships now and Jesse has a son, but as their strong feelings for each other start to return, both confess a longing for more. Yeah, I, I guess that does. It actually says more than some summaries uh, that you oh, read yeah. do. But it, um, in some ways, this whole movie is a spoiler because of the way True. the first one ended. And you never really knew what was going to happen. And this film answers a lot of those questions and then asks a whole bunch of new ones. I know. It, 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 it gives like a slow... Like, I guess the only spoiler in that is finding out that they're both in relationships. Because, you know, when you watch the movie, that's sort of a slow reveal. Um, and just like in the first one, you don't know much about the, the two characters are sort of putting on a facade. And then as the movie goes on, it gets more and more raw and real. Um, and you know, until they kind of have put all their cards on the table, which I'm sure everyone in a relationship's like, don't you wish that could happen the first day you meet? <laughs> that you could know someone so well, but there's something about them not knowing each other at all and being in another city and being far from anywhere from anyone that they know that I think allows them to be that honest. I think so too. I think we spoke about that in the last one. I think that was yeah. a quality that they found in the in the the way that they came together. And I think that them being reunited, and especially now that we're made aware of the fact that they didn't have any contact in the meantime, mm-hmm. um, and and I do love the way they sort of berate their younger selves for having made those choices that they did (laughs) again it felt very early 30s to be um sort of you know to be critical of your of your uh 20 something self yeah and uh and you know so once again they're in this situation where they've had such limited time together but they're both sort of separated from their lives even though in this case she's in her home city yeah this time yeah and they are uh but they have a bit of a freedom with each other the the way that they've connected they have a bit of a freedom to be really honest maybe in ways that they wouldn't if they were meeting someone in a more traditional way and starting a relationship in a more traditional way and if they had more time yes the the time pressure this one one of the things that's different is that it's almost in real time right yeah the movie's only an hour and 20 minutes right Right. And that's really all the time that we have with them. They don't, it's not, the other one was, you know, a whole night stretched out over the runtime of the movie. But this one is really sort of, it seems very close to following all the time that they have together, moment by moment. So there is this clock ticking and this pressure on them to be able to say what they want to say, express what they want to express before, you know, their time expires, their time runs out. Yeah, I I had a couple of quick facts, just just three. 
But mm-hmm. the first one that I have is that Julie Delphi's agent at the time tried to actually dissuade her from participating on this project, both as a screenwriter and as an actress, saying it was a stupid movie no one was going to see. <laughs> Asking her to go to the gym instead, which sounds like an insult. Uh, he fired her as a client the same day. Wow. Well, I mean, I did not know that fact. Uh, that's interesting. She did get an Oscar nomination for the screenplay for this film so clearly he he didn't know what he was talking about yeah that's strange i wonder why you know giving her such harsh advice but maybe they were on their on the outs anyway or something maybe she never listened to him (laughs) he was just had it (laughs) she probably Um. should have based on what he said (laughs) yeah uh since the film takes place during the mid to late afternoon it's the only time of day that the director richard linklater would shoot the scenes in the film he felt it added to the hyper reality of the film and often relied on actors to get a perfect take at the right time yeah again i think that that really the the movie has such a a lived-in feel right like they they both contributed to the script i think there's probably a lot of ad-libbing going on or or you know sort of I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about how they each brought much of themselves into the characters. I know mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke was going through his divorce um, at the time. To Uma Thurman, right? Yes, I yeah. think so. That's right. So so um, this idea of them sort of shooting in this, you know, limited window of time, adding to that pressure, it just all feels like it helps create that, that sense of... Um, pressure on them and and that this sort of special moment that they're having that you know they've they've both probably thought about for nine years in terms of what they would say and and now they're living it and they only have this limited period of time so I I I think that that would be an effective way to really capture that feeling when making the movie yeah I totally agree I think that filming at that time of day and that you know your audience can tell and that they're under pressure to film uh, you can feel that too and then there's little things in the film like the boat scene and also the the ride to the airport they kind of just they add like a heightened sense of urgency mm-hmm. um, like they're able to like make you really feel the time's running out by by doing those kinds of things in the movie yes um so let's go ahead we, we kind of talked about uh link later last time so he directed like you said the first movie boyhood uh i think a scanner darkly right mm-hmm. um so um you know he he's had quite a few films but you know kind of like with boyhood this is a situation where i mean you know this wasn't filmed over nine years but it's nine years later and that seems to i guess he's really interested in time and how time changes people it certainly seems that way. It certainly seems that way. And and again, I think it was a surprise. I, I don't know how long it was planned for, but it does sort of feel somewhat like a, I remember it feeling like a bit of a surprise that it was coming out. And so it was quite exciting if you were a fan of the first film to know that suddenly we were going to get uh, more with these characters and find out what happened and also sort of see, check in with them where they are so many years later. So um, it, he, he certainly does seem interested in that with this, this series combined with his film boyhood really are, are, are things that we don't really see too many filmmakers doing uh, revisiting those characters. Sometimes in big franchises, we see characters come back, but it's not really the same experiment as it is here with, with this kind of a story. 
Right. And, you know, um, yeah, and he seems to, like, pick Ethan Hawke a lot for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's probably, like, some sort of self-projection. Like, I always feel like, kind of like in Nolan's films when he's always picking, like, blonde guys almost every time to be the main character. I always feel like it's him. Like, maybe Linklater is feeling, like, he feels some sort of connection to Ethan Hawke or something because he's always choosing him for these films. Well, a lot of directors have uh, actors that they work with. Yeah, like a wheelhouse. Yeah, Yeah, and maybe they just have a good working relationship or something. But I think you're probably right, especially because, I mean, when we talked about the first film and he, you know, wrote it based on an experience, it wasn't exactly a reproduction of his experience, but a, a similar idea. He was probably seeing something of himself reflected in, in Ethan Hawke in that performance. Do you feel like, you know, we talked about in the first movie that, yeah, he based, like you said, he based it off of sort of a real life experience, I think in Philadelphia. Yeah. And he wrote that movie kind of hoping she would see it. Right. Um, but she actually died right. like a few a few years before that movie even came out. I think out. that's right, yes. And so in this one, like I don't I'm sure I don't think he knew that when the first one came out. I don't think he found out till later. And so when he writes this one and you and you watch the movie knowing that, I almost feel like I don't know how to how to put this into words, but almost like Julie's character is sort of like a I mean, she's definitely like a what if scenario, but there is something sort of, I don't know how to put this, like, like I could imagine it, this being in his mind and it not being real, even in the context of the film. Like there's a few things that are said here and there that I think softly allude to the fact that the real person died, like maybe subconsciously mm. added that, but I don't know that's, if that's just my projection. That's a really interesting I take. I think that that is uh, fascinating and could be a really interesting way to, um, to sort of watch the film and experience it, you know, like the theory around Greece, the famous theory around Greece, that the whole thing is a, is a, is a dream that they drown in the first, she drowns in the first scene. And then the whole movie is a, is a fantasy. I don't know if you've heard that that theory before, but it can be fun to, to watch a film with, with a perspective like that. And I don't think there needs to be a right answer. I think you can enjoy a film in, in different ways what you're saying though really speaks to that opening sequence in Shakespeare and company that to me always feels very meta, right? He's written this book. He, um, you know, people, the, the reporters are about this one night, the reporters are asking him, did this really happen to you? He's sort of dancing around that idea. Um, he then sort of confesses later that he has written the book partially because it was in hopes of, tracking her down in a way so you know i think that all of that does you know must tie into Linklater's um own feelings and emotions and and why he was brought to to do the movie so in this case it's the character in his book but you know it's reflecting it's reflecting that um that opening sequence always like i said feels like he's talking to us the audience a little bit about you know they're asking questions and he's sort of answering in a way that leaves things ambiguous and and basically says you know do we need to have an answer to that question and mm-hmm. and so i think in some ways he's playing with the audience or speaking to the audience maybe a little bit about you know what is it that we what we need from from that story and from that experience well the first time around he's speaking from experience and then these next two films he's not because right. it didn't happen so i i think 
that's an interesting concept. And so I feel like sometimes when they're saying to each other, I thought about what I'd say all these years. And it's like, he's almost like working out what could have happened instead of what did. And I think the movie doesn't feel any less real, but like knowing that fact in the back of your mind is kind of, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just puts a different spin on the movie. If I hadn't read that, like, like I, I I wonder how differently I would see the movie had I not known that when I watched it, you know? But I think by the time this film comes out, probably a lot of people already know that if they were really invested in the first one. You know what? That's a really interesting point. And I, I had never thought about it that way before, but I really like that idea. And I definitely think when, when I rewatch it, I will keep that in mind. And I think that could really, um, you know, make for a really interesting watch thinking through some of that stuff that you've raised. So thank you for, for sharing that idea with me. I love, uh, I love the thought of that and it could be really interesting to, to see where that goes, especially, you know, potentially even what are the implications of the third film too. So we could yeah. you know, sort of go from there uh, eventually. But I think that's a really interesting idea. And I, and I think films can be watched that way. You could watch it and experience it both as a, a real in quotations, you know, story um, about, you know, like Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy are contributing to their characters. They both have talked about how much they brought of their own experiences to those characters um, so they're mm-hmm. working out those things, but maybe the brother is also working out this fantasy of if I could have met her again, what would I have said? And maybe this is all a, a bit of a conjecture to think about what what we what could have happened if uh, if we had been able to reconnect. Yeah, because I think you know I think the movie's pretty straightforward. You know, all three of them probably are in that these care she didn't die, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think like on another level, like. Like you said, the, the the actors are working out their own issues, the the director and writer is working out his, and so it's interesting to see it that way. But really, you could see every movie that way too, you know, because there's yes. there's people behind them and they're writing a lot of times from experience. But it's just right. interesting to think about. Um, so, do you want to talk about some of your favorite scenes in the movie? Sure. I mean, this film, and I know some of your guests say this, but it can be so true. I mean, the whole movie is my favorite scene. Um, But but I do. So it starts out at Shakespeare and Company, which is a bookstore that personally I I do love and I visit every time I'm in Paris. Oh, awesome. um, And I love when you see a movie in a physical space that you have personally been in because you have a relationship to that space right Mm -hmm. and then seeing seeing the story play out in that space always um i i find it just adds an extra something extra to it when i when i have that sort of physical connection to it so um like you said they go from that store and they start initially putting on a little bit of a facade because they're both obviously excited but also unsure Right. And so right. there's all of this kind of like they do that little awkward um, French kiss greeting thing with uh, the two <laughs> cheeks that is, um, you know, sort of I think really sums up the the awkwardness that they're feeling sort of in that moment. So I love that sort of initial meetup. Um, I do love their discussions about um, sort of what happened um, and how that sort of changes over the course of the film, right? Like they talk about it, but then they talk about it later and, and details have changed because again, like at first maybe you're being a bit more guarded and a little less honest. And then you're sort of, you know, sort of revealing more as, as you go through, I think this film does that amazingly the way that they sort of go deeper and deeper and into a intimacy that at first is a bit shaky, but then, 
they they find quite quickly, I think, because of the way the two of them have related to that night nine years ago for this whole time. So it's maybe easier for them to slip into that intimacy between the two of them, um, you know, as, as, as they let go of some of their nervousness. Yeah, I completely agree. In the, in the beginning, it's kind of like a, a high school reunion almost, you know, right. you, you see someone after a long time and it's tempting to be like, my life's awesome. It's actually going great. And they kind of both do that. Like I wrote a book and she's like, oh, I'm traveling everywhere and doing really right. important things. And, you know, it, it takes a while for them to kind of break down what's really going on. And, you know, maybe him more so than her, but by the end of the film, you find out that he's actually very unhappy and like ready mm-hmm. to possibly take a chance on something else. And, mm-hmm. you know, she is in a place where her relationship is comfortable. And so she doesn't really want to risk it, but then she's upset that she's even entertaining it. You know, like I, I just loved all of that. Um, right. In the film. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I'm going, I like the way that they, that sort of reveals itself over time between the two of them and, and how she sort of admits to just keeping her relationships at a distance. Like this relationship is good. It's working for her, but it's very much sort of at arm's length. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and maybe partially because she sort of confesses about the way that their interaction nine years ago, maybe set some of that in motion for her in terms of being able to connect to other people because of what she invested in that one night. Right. Um, yeah. But then also him with his, you know, starting this relationship. And, and I mean, the other thing about that is that, you know, he fantasizes about this relationship with Celine from the one night, but then he ended up marrying someone else and that not working out. Right. So there's all this like, would it, would it have even worked out if they did, right. If they had met, um, you know, the, the logical part of me would say to both of them, like pretending like a ther- I'm a therapist for yes. a second, that it would probably end the same way because they they have a pattern in their relationships. And what's appealing about this night is they never got to play that pattern out. Yes. But there's always that possibility. There, there's a really good line in the film where she says, you know, when you're young, you think you have plenty of time and you'll just find somebody that you connect with. And the older you get, the more you realize you don't connect with a lot of people. And I was yes. like, wow, that that, you know, Speaking as somebody in a in a you know pretty long term relationship, um, it's so true. You know, I I think I used to think that, and then I'm like, having been married, you know, now for seven years and with with the same person for fifteen. Not that that guarantees it'll last forever, but I'm like, you know, I had other relationships before that, and they did not last anywhere near as long. So it's like, right. it's true. There are some people that you can make it work with, and there are some you can't, and you don't know who that's going to be necessarily. Um, so I thought that part was really interesting. Oh yeah. And I, and I like the way they talk about um, the way they talk about memory. Right. So mm-hmm. like he talks about this idea um, of, you know, if you wrote a book, it would be a completely different book. Right. About yeah. that night and the way that they remember things somewhat differently. Um, and there's a quote that she says where she says something about how she puts things in drawers in my head. I think it was her. Oh yeah. Um, there's, there's these ideas of, um, you know, what is real, like you were talking about that a little bit too. And, 
And, you know, as we remember things, what is it that we're choosing to remember? What are we forgetting? Are we remembering it the way that it happened? Um, would somebody else who experienced the same thing have a completely different memory of it, which, you know, all of that is is fascinating. So we can go back and look at the movie and we can watch the first movie and say, well, this is what she was wearing at this moment. But the, you know, the memories aren't about necessarily about the the facts and the details, but more about the the feelings and the relationships and what was happening in each moment. Oh, for sure. Those things are less tangible, right? Mm -hmm. So this movie does a lot of wrestling with that. It really does a lot of them sort of reflecting on, you know, what did it really mean? What did it really feel like? What were we, what were we saying? What were we doing? Um, And that it doesn't always mash up or that, you know, as they reflect on it more, their memories change a little bit to, you know, and and maybe align a little bit more um, because they're together again. I, yeah, I just true. think it's really fascinating the way it plays with memory. I agree. You know, you're. I think you're talking about that part where, you know, he talks about their their night together, mm-hmm. and she claims it didn't happen. And he's <laughs> at first, you know, very wounded. Uh, his ego is very wounded by that. He's like, so I guess it was not memorable, and that's why you don't remember. And she's like, well, I would never do that. And like they kind of argue. There's this sort of social aspect of it too of her wanting to project that she's not the kind of person that has all these one night stands whereas he as a man doesn't really have that same pressure but then i think the bigger reveal a little later is that she does remember it i think she put that memory away in the drawer like you talked about because it made it more painful to her uh it was very out of character for her to sleep with someone she had just met Mm -hmm. and it just adds to the fact that that's how intense she felt that night that's how much she connected with him, that she was willing to throw her rules aside and 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 do something that she wouldn't normally do. And it meant so much to her that she locked it away in a drawer because she probably thought there's no way it means that much to him. Right. But then over the course of the movie, she finds out that she's wrong. And I think a lot of the movie, she's like really holding back. She talks about relationships being really disappointing, um, her sex life being disappointing. Um, and it's really not till the end when she reveals like that song she wrote about him. <laughs> right. <laughs> because I think she was just afraid to like let him know how much she actually cared because of that sort of social pressure of, you know, w- you know, there's this idea of like, oh, guys are trying to get in your pants. And so they'll say whatever they have to say. So she was kind of almost making him prove it. Yes, But then also I think she is just an emotionally guarded person on top of that. And he's like a hopeless romantic. So they're kind of, they're pretty different. (laughs) Yes. So they handle it differently. You know, him being romantic, it's like, he's like, and being a guy, he's like, that was a great night. And I remember it vividly. And she kind of almost wanted that night to go away. Right. And yeah. he wrote a whole book about it. And, yeah. And she kept and it a secret. Yeah. It's right. like so she wrote different. this song, but the song doesn't necessarily like reveal as much. Right. Like it's mm-hmm. or it's more um, it's more coded so that yes. it's more just for those in the know as opposed to the book, which is this bestseller we're supposed to, I think, we're supposed to assume or at least it's somewhat successful. He's touring sure. around yeah. to promote it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, no, for sure. I think that that's um, uh again i mean we saw that in the first movie but here we're seeing it now with more mature people mm-hmm. the way that they handle things differently the way that they handle relate he went all into a relationship and had a child with a woman and then it didn't um and like i love the line that he says about i feel like i'm running the world's smallest daycare with a with a with my best friend right 
um, yeah. which I think is a really interesting, and probably a lot of marriages are like that. Um, I was going to say, I think a lot of people end up in relationships trying to do the right thing. And, yeah. you know, he talks about like sort of checking boxes. What does a successful me look like? Mm-hmm. And I do think, you know, I'm the kind of person that's always pushing, like, do things when you're ready. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, you're always going to look back and wonder why you did it. You know, did you get married because all your friends were married? Did mm-hmm. you have children because your friends were having children or your parents wanted you to? Um, and I think a lot of people end up sort of trapped in relationships where maybe they would have decided that, but because they didn't really get to decide it, now they're unhappy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, for him, he got her pregnant, he said. So he didn't say they were trying for a baby. (laughs) So he ended up in a relationship with someone that he may not have continued to be with, but married because he was of a certain age. It was the right thing to do in his mind. And now he's looking back going, Oh, these are not decisions I made, you know, which I, I can know. I, yeah, I would imagine most not, I would not, not say most people because you know, people are different, but I think that that can add to how he felt, you know, if he wasn't sure back then. And then he's pining for her the whole time. Sorry. That and the conflict that he has around how much he loves his son and how that person wouldn't exist if this mistake relationship hadn't have happened. And so he's he's got the conflict around that because he does love his son and, and it does appear that he has a good relationship with him. Um, there's no indication that that's not the case. Um, and so again, I think as a romantic, he thought, well, I, we've gotten pregnant. We're going to, we're going to make this work. And he would sort of go all in. It would feel like consistent with that character. Whereas for her, yeah. she's keeping her relationships at, at a distance. And she picks some guy who travels all the time so that she has all this independence. Yes. You don't get the impression they live together. She, she doesn't have children. No. <laughs> And they yeah. and the, that apartment that they go to appears to be just hers, not her and a partner. Yes, so true. She's sort of again that difference that you pointed out. They're they're really handling relationships in very different ways, um, and and you know they are now coming together uh, in this moment at the end of the film that once again leaves all of these questions sort of outstanding, like what. What does happen? I remember the first time I saw it and it just fades out, not realizing that was going to be the end of the film. Oh, I, I kind know. of felt that way watching it too, even yeah. now. It's like, what? It's over? <laughs> no. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, now that I've seen it many times and reflected on it, I mean, it is, I think, a very perfect ending for this yes. story in terms of the way the story always leaves you not answering all the questions of what's going to happen. Because that's not how life is, right? We don't know what's going to happen in life. We just go from one, you know, episode to the next. Um, and we, uh, and in this case, we we know that he's going to miss his plane, right? That's that's the implication at the end. And I mean, yeah, that kind... could be the first step in a series of steps, or he could get on the next flight. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And we don't know yet <laughs> until we watch <laughs> the next movie what does happen there, but. Uh, but yeah, we do. Um, I, I, again, it just felt like that. at first I was so surprised that, oh, it's just ending here. And, and I don't know what's going to happen. And I want to know what's going to happen next. And I want to, I'm so invested in who they are and where they've come together. And now there's this moment. I, I don't know. I, I, for me, it though, it was certainly more satisfying 
than if they had said goodbye and he had gone off to the airport. I think oh, that, for would, sure. that wouldn't have been a very satisfying ending, I don't No, because she didn't get to reveal all her cards yet. Um, I think she does a lot of revealing things in the limo ride, but yes. I think if we didn't get that song, we wouldn't have that confirmation mm-hmm. of how much she thought about it. I, I do like the part too, going back to when he, you know, reveals about uh, his, his relationship with his wife and how he feels like he's running a nursery. And, yeah. you know, she kind of makes a comment about that the honeymoon period, so to speak, that they're even in is temporary yeah and that and i did kind of i do kind of feel that way about him as a character i feel like even though he's more mature than he was then he hasn't really all the way matured um and and you know i could apply that i'm not saying i'm so much more mature because i don't think i am but i do (laughs) think that we have this expectation about relationships that they're always going to be like out of 10 and i think she makes a good point that like maybe that's impossible Maybe there's a middle ground, (laughs) you know, maybe, maybe you're truly miserable in this relationship, or maybe you're not mature enough to realize that this is what relationships are. Um, And I think he's also wrestling with that too. I don't think he like 100% dismisses it, but I do wonder, you know, like, like we say, like if they end up together, well, five years from now, she be like his wife. (laughs) And he's like, now this is boring. You know, we don't know. Right. Um, but I, I like that she posed that opposite side. Cause I think sometimes like in, in movies, you don't get that other side. And I'll think of that in my head. I'll be like, well, but also could it just be that you're rushing off to the next exciting thing? And so I like that she said that. Cause I think she's kind of in a place where she keeps everybody at a distance probably because she does think that's inevitable that they'll get like bored. <laughs> right. So she's like, her solution is to just never go all the way in. Right. Well, yeah. and I like speaking on that. There's that great line that she has that I think sort of sums up some of the, of her, where she's grown into, where she says, um, at least now we don't have to pretend that each sexual experience is a life-altering event. That speaks yeah. a little bit to, I mean, she's talking about a sexual experience in that moment, but I think also maybe, you know, relationships. About relationships. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Very much so, because I think, you know, I do think when you're young, uh, you handle relationships so differently. And then when you get older, you're like, oh, there's going to be a few. <laughs> like, yeah. it's probably not going to be, you know, some people marry their high school sweetheart, but usually that doesn't happen. So right. uh, she's in a different place emotionally. I, I also like the scene where, uh, you know, she asks, do I look any different? I thought that part right. was so funny because obviously it's been like nine years and yeah. they both look different. And she knows that, but she's wondering how he views her still. Well, and you he's, know, oh, go that's ahead. right. Sorry. No, you're fine. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think, you know, they do both look different. They both look a little bit older, but I actually think they both look better. Um, but they both also look a little more tired and worn. Yes. Uh, he says you look thinner. And she's like, was I fat? I like that part. <laughs> but uh, he said that because and he was trying to find a nice way to say your face has thinned out. Because as we get older, yeah. our faces do get thinner. Mm-hmm. But he didn't want to say you look older. So he said your face is thinner. And it's funny that her brain automatically went to, well, I must have been fat. <laughs> she kind of didn't really understand what he was trying to say staying on this theme of what you were saying about her um and 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 her where she's at with with um relationship she has this great line in the middle where she says everyone is made up of such beautiful specific details 
I, and I, I love that line. Like it just, that one really resonated for me. And she's, it's in the middle of a conversation where she's talking about the way that her connections with people impact her very deeply and how each of those connections is so unique because of how unique each person is and how you, the, you and that person fit together in the unique mm-hmm. way that you do. And that part, I think, spoke to me specifically at that time when I first saw it and I was that age, because I think that was really around the time when I was beginning to learn those kind of lessons. You know, again, reflecting on that idea of in your 20s, you just kind of think you're going to meet all these people and you, you, know, you can just sort of go from one situation to the next. But as you get older, you start to realize the way people impact you, the way that you have an impact mm-hmm. on them uh, and the different ways you connect and the, the, the different ways those connections, some being far more, uh, having far more uh, impact again on your life uh, than others do. That part of what she was saying really resonated for me. Yeah. She says like, I'm wounded each time. Yes. That's I carry right. that with me and 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 then she also mentions how yeah and you you mentioned this already but how each person is unique and how you know she's not upset that that happened even if it didn't work out which i thought was like a super mm-hmm. mature way to look at it you know it's not the like oh my exes are crazy <laughs> right. right she's kind of acknowledging that there was something she was attracted to in each person and you know there was a reason that relationship happened but it it's also painful because every time it ends, then she carries that around with her, but mm-hmm. she does also d- doesn't want it to be erased. And she's like, and you're part of that. Yeah. So, you know, she, and, and in that moment, she was still kind of keeping close to her chest that yes, she's in this relationship, but she's still been pining after him. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think she even says, if you hadn't written that book, Right. Yes. And yeah. she uses an expletive at that moment too yes. to describe it because obviously it had some impact. Um, I, How could um, it not? Well, <laughs> it's well, like exactly. the most romantic thing anyone could ever do is like you have what you think is a meaningless one night stand to the person where you got a little too clingy. That's probably how she saw it. Then he writes a book confessing his love. It's like validating her experience. And changing everything that she sort of understood about that night mm-hmm. or everything that she convinced herself of afterwards maybe to make it less painful yeah and maybe things that she convinces herself of when she's in relationships with other people too yes you know because she seems to have this drive like you said she's very distant in her relationships and then she travels everywhere too i mean she literally like gets away so it's like that's right yeah it's like i think yeah it's like she projects an idea onto people of what they're like but maybe she's wrong like she was when she reads this guy's book like it just yeah. reveals a completely different side to him that that she thought was there because i and think it's... you could tell that in the first movie too that a lot of the movie she's like you're just like making stuff up <laughs> like right. you're, you're just a writer and then you know she, now she really has confirmation that he's not just not just trying to woo her right right and I do think that reading that book turned, flipped her world upside down again and made her question everything that she had sort of, how she had compartmentalized everything, how she had rationalized everything and how she'd sort of moved on with her life. And now here she is confronted again because of, because of it, because it meant something to him too. And it meant enough for him to, to write this book and meant enough for him to remember it after all this time. And, and she seeks, she's the one that seeks him out. I mean, he's looking for her, but she's the one that shows up. Yeah. Absolutely. And, 
Yeah, and it's like, I guess, like, to imagine what she might be thinking, though, too, towards the end is like, you know, is this just part of him being, you know, romantic? Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, does he do these things because it's exciting and, you know, he he wants to believe in this idea of true love and it's like the idea of it drives him to do all these things and motivates him more than his real life? Like, I don't know. It's just interesting to think about because you don't really get a conclusion, like you said, at the end of the movie. Uh, she right. makes him miss his plane or he willingly misses his plane, but we don't know. Does he really end his marriage over this like it's Wait. just interesting to think about yeah how long does he stay does he stay for just a little while does he stay all night does he we don't know and and it leaves us um again being able to imagine being able to just sort of live with the um until you see the next movie live with the with the <laughs> mystery and 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 the possibilities again it's just like with the last film there's there's all this possibility at the end of the film that uh, it could, there a number of things could happen and you could sort of depending on either how you want to think about it or or maybe what you've gone through you can reflect on it in different ways one of the one moment that I, I just remembered that I love is there's one point I think it's on the boat where he says something about um, he says the line if someone were to touch me I would dissolve into molecules and then <laughs> yeah. at the end when they're going into her apartment she they they hug each other and uh she references that and he said he, you know how are you dissolving into molecules and he says i'm still here and, and you know just that idea that you know maybe he can let himself actually feel everything that he wants to feel and and uh and it'll be okay for him to to do that and i found that a really moving moment as well yeah, yeah, I like that. At first, she was like, "You're so dramatic." When he says that, but then later, she she's like, "You know, she has that line." And, and of course, he's a, he's a writer; he's got a good line back. So. That's right. Yeah. Well, and then, yeah. like you said about him being dramatic, I mean, he has that dream about her going by on the train, and she's pregnant in his dream, right? And mm-hmm. but he can't see her because she just keeps going by on the train, and it's this sort of unattainable relationship that he's that he's idealized in this uh, and the dream is reflecting that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I definitely like stories like this where it's sort of a, either, you know, it's a forbidden love or it can't happen. I mean, like the the best example probably is like Casablanca, right? Mm -hmm. There's just something about that that is like even more romantic and even more exciting to watch. Yes. Yes. You you don't want to live it, but it's exciting (laughs) to see. (laughs) That's right. There's um, um, th- there was another moment that is one of my favorites too, and it reflects a moment. I mean, there's a lot of moments that reflect moments from the first film. Oh, for sure. But one of my favorite moments in the first film is when they're in the bus, and there's a scene where she sort of reaches out to touch him, but then doesn't. So sort of she sort of backs off and questions herself while he's like expressing some emotional moment. And then this, that happens again in the car, but in reverse, he reaches out to sort of touch her as she's getting really upset. Remember how she, upset mm, she gets yeah. in the cab or the, the, the limo? They, and he reaches out to try to comfort her, but then he sort of pulls back. And it's just this, again, the, 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 uh, how unsure they both are of really where they're at and what's going on and what they should be doing and, and, and all of it. Um, and it just brought me back to that moment and just, you know, you can relate to just being that unsure, right. Yes. And, and not knowing the right thing to do and wanting to 
do something, but not knowing what to do and, and being timid and all of that. And so that's just a, another of my, uh, my, my favorite moments. Um, you know, she, she gets very upset during that scene and, and you can really see so much of everything that she's been bottling up for all of this time, just really coming to the surface. And it just felt really, um, just felt really honest. And I, I think through a lot of the conversation, I always sort of imagine how much of, how much of it the act since the actors were sort of contributing to the script from their own lives, how much of it really was personal for them in, um, in, in going on in, in real life, um, you know, what was going on for them in real life. Um, it just feels so raw and so honest and, and, um, and it just, again, really powerful. I can really relate to so much of what they're sort of saying and going through at that time. Yeah, I mean, I think she was at a point in her life, he's very, very unhappy with his life and he wants it to change, but I don't think she did. She she right. kind of had made peace with like, relationships don't work out like I thought they did. I'm just going to keep them at arm's length and I'm going to keep living my life. And he disrupts that. So I think that's why in that scene, she like loses control and lets out everything that was bottled up because she is mad at him for proving that maybe she does want more than that. Right. And it's scary. And, and again, like he's married and is uh, living on the other side of the world. And, and, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, whether it's anger or resentment or frustration about not being able to just fall into the relationship they want and even though she's more of the realist i think when it comes to relationships in terms of knowing that it's not just going to be a honeymoon entirely if they were to try to make it happen right so all of that is coming out and and she's getting so angry and um yeah it's just it's a it's a powerful scene i always find myself getting emotional as i watch it partially because of just how real her anger and her frustrations are yeah and how relatable it is because I I think you know they're opposites and that's frustrating in and of itself but also it's what attracts them to each other so it's kind of like yeah it's it's very relatable in that way yes yeah for sure um the I I just was remembering another moment that I love um there's and this is just a silly moment but when she's trying to get him to give the driver the name of the key where they're going to be picked (laughs) up and she's like oh he can't oh he can't he's like (laughs) it just it just it it made me laugh especially as someone like I um lived in uh, Montreal for a while which is a very bilingual city so just those intersections of language and and communication fails that happen when when two languages are are colliding like that I just found um uh, found very funny. Um, I remember in the first film, there is something about the fact that um, neither of them speak German uh, and they're, neither yes. of them are from that city. In this one, the dynamic is a little bit different because this is her home and this is her country and her language. And he's the one that's out of place. Um, so there's a little bit of a, a different power imbalance. In fact, that she even has her apartment. We even end up back at her apartment. Very true. And I mean, who could be more out of place there than an American, right? I mean, (laughs) Americans are notorious for not being bilingual. (laughs) So it's like, and for being, you know, we're in the clouds. I don't know. There are times in both movies where he says things and I'm like, oh, 
<laughs> making all Americans look bad, but so accurate. <laughs> well, she does say that she does have that great line where she says, and this might be, this is dating the movie a little bit, um, but she says, um, I'm so glad you're not one of those freedom fries Americans. Yes. And that line makes me laugh. And again, it's a little bit of a throwback to the past, but it is... Um, uh, uh, sort of a reference to that. And she gives him a hard time about it. He rolls with it. And I think he's very gracious about it and doesn't get too defensive. Um, yeah, he's he's well-traveled by this point. Yes. So he he's a little more humble than the first time around. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, he's a little more beaten down, I guess. He's, life yeah. has um, not gone the way that he thought. And I mean, he's the kind of guy that probably expect like that life does often go your way right and well the first movie he flew all the way out to as a romantic gesture to see his girlfriend and that blew up in his face Mm -hmm. now his marriage is going back it's like he can't stop he he, (laughs) he's really into these grand gestures right (laughs) exactly (laughs) um but he did like i said he handles that pretty well and he's um he's pretty patient with that and she's um you know, I think they actually have that great conversation. I mean, it's one of the things about these movies is is it's all conversation, right? Yeah, yeah. And they do have a great conversation at the beginning that I really enjoy around um, consumerism and oh, yeah. um, and sort of um, satisfaction and 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 uh, feeling. I, I really enjoy that conversation because you know it's easy to sort of get all high and mighty on your principles, but then sometimes you also just you know, there's parts of you that give in to certain sort of simple pleasures and other things. And it just felt like, again, a very honest and confessional kind of conversation about the complexities of, you know, what's, um, you know, of politics or economics or, or other things that it's not always such a black and white issue. Yeah. And I also think too, like the way that she views relationships and the romantic versus the romantic way he does, I think that's the same in a lot of aspects of life you know, she's kind of, she wants what he's selling, right? Where it's like, she brings up all the problems in the world, but she kind of wants to be talked out of it, I think. Yeah. And when he's like, oh, things are getting better. And she like challenges that. I think a part of her is like, convince me that life isn't terrible. Right. <laughs> you know? And so I think, you know, again, that's, that's one of the things that attracts her to him is, is his optimism. Yes. I agree. I think so. I think that there's uh, something about his romanticism that she is, drawn to uh, yeah. and gives her some sort of hope um i like too the fact that there was that they whenever they and they come back to it a couple times but the time when they were both in in new york and oh, the possibility yeah. you know, he even says i i thought i saw you on the corner with an umbrella and and she talks about how she lived in that neighborhood during that time but, and but just new york the, is such a place that it's still possible that he didn't see her. Of course. Which is kind of crazy to think about. Of course. And there's this whole idea that, I mean, um, that they could just be embellishing it in their memories because they want to think that they, you know, came that close. But it is actually possible that they may have, right? Like, so again, just the mystery of that is just so beautiful and frustrating at the same time. (laughs) Um, Well, and you never get that validation, right? Like, I think we've all been in a situation where we thought we saw somebody mm-hmm. like imagine getting someone saying, Oh yeah, I did live there. Like you didn't make mm-hmm. that up. You did see that. Like we don't usually get that. No, no. But it is when those moments happen, like sometimes you do run into someone in very True. 
unlikely scenarios, right? Um, and when that does happen, it does feel like this little miracle in a way, right? That mm-hmm. um, and this little blessing that you you connect with this person, and and this one would have been a, a a near miss if it if it really did happen, right? Right, because he, he said it was like on his wedding day. Yeah, it was on his way to his wedding. Exactly. Which it, it may be more him just even on his wedding day being like, do I want this? <laughs> of course. Yeah. But imagine if he did run into her on the way to his wedding, what would have happened? That would have been a whole other story, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> hey, we're going to have to know this. I just saw yeah. this girl. They saw one time in Vienna years ago. So sorry about that, but it's off. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, I love the way the movie sort of starts. So the, at the end of the first movie they um, Linklater goes back to each of the like many of the spaces that they walk through, and sort of shows them in the early morning sort of era empty again. And we talked a little bit about that when we talked about the first movie. Well, this one starts with a number of the scenes of places that they will inhabit, they will visit as they walk through, but aren't there yet. And so you mm-hmm. see the cafe, and you see some of the walkways that they are going to be walking through, and. And um, and again, I I appreciate the way that he uses space in in the film that way, and 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 shows it to us in different ways with them in it and in, with them away from it. Especially because this time the movie ends with a fade out, so there isn't time to sort of go back and do that. So he starts the movie that way, and it makes an interesting mirror image. If you do watch the two movies sort of marathon style in a row, that that really sort of stands out a little bit more than than if there's a, a gap between when you're watching it. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. And then she, I think there's, it's actually one of her songs that's playing over the opening sequence. It's her, she wrote a couple of songs for the movie, the one that she plays at the end for him. But Oh, really? A song at the beginning that I, I'm pretty sure is also her uh, wow. song that she wrote and is, is singing. That's great. Because she didn't, did she sing in the first one? I can't remember. I don't remember her singing in the first one. Yeah, no. I don't think I don't so. Think so, so either that's something she developed uh, after that time in her life, or just wasn't a part of that day. She didn't have her guitar with her as she was on the train. Right, right. <laughs> Were there any other scenes that we haven't touched on yet? Um, no, the movie's only an hour and twenty minutes, which is kind of crazy to think about. It feels like it goes by. At, at just the right pace, I think. Yeah, I mean, as I was saying before, it's a um, it's a real time. Like you assume that from the time that she shows up at the at the book uh, signing to the point where they're at her apartment is about an hour and twenty minutes of time, and we just watch them. There aren't many gaps in the movie where any time has elapsed. Um, so um, you know you. You see them on the boat. I like that she talks about, oh, I'm embarrassed. I can't go on there. That's just for tourists. And then she does. And then she's like, wow, this is great. <laughs> like, I should do this Oh, well. yeah. You know, I'm, I'm one of those people that, uh, and people make fun of me, but every time I go to a city, especially when I've been there alone, I end up going on tours. And mm-hmm. I like doing that corny stuff because no matter how above it you think you are, you do learn something <laughs> when you go on a tour. And river tours are the best so highly recommend she's 100 percent right about getting on a boat and seeing the city from a boat 
good choice in any city, I think. That's right. And I did it one time in Paris because of this movie. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do the boat because they did it in the movie. And I want to see yes. what that's like. <laughs> nice. and, and it was great. It was great. You get to see it from a bit of a different angle than you, you know, you do in, in, in other ways. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. And, and it's a nice break, especially when you're walking around everywhere all the time. It's, it's kind of a nice yeah. break to get off the land for a little bit. Yeah, that's right. So, um, I, I think we've covered most of, uh, most of it for me as, as I said, this is a movie and I, maybe it's the short runtime too, but I just enjoy it thoroughly from, from beginning to end that the emotions I feel sort of roller coaster every time and, and, uh, the connection to the characters. And then as the movie sort of encroaches on the end, he says, um, he has this great line where he, where he says something about, um, uh, oh, what is it? It's like, um, something about how he doesn't have any uh, worries. Right now, I don't have any problems. You know, she, mm-hmm. she asks him those problems. He says, right now, I don't have any. And he just has this, like, joy on his face that he's just present in the moment and just experiencing it. Like, I think that up to that point, they're wrestling with all of their past feelings. They're worried about their other connections in the world that they're that are sort of, you know, troubling them. Mm-hmm. And he gets to the point at the end where he can just be in that moment and be with her and appreciate being with her. And she sort of gets there too, because she starts talking about that Nina Simone concert and yeah. just loses herself in that moment where she's, you know, um, and they're listening to, uh, they're listening to her sing They're um, She's mimicking Nina Simone and, and he's just allowing himself to really be present in that moment and so I just feel like it ends on this, like there's this uncertainty and all this possibility and and everything, but there's also just a, a joy in that moment that I really I really love that it that yeah. it ends that way, um, especially after the, like the last one ended with such a sort of melancholy and them each going their own way, yeah. but happy for the for the having had the experience, but sort of living in the moment that it's over and this one ends in the moment when it's still going on which is an interesting shift yeah i i agree and i won't say anything but i took a sneak peek (laughs) at stills from the next one while you're while we were talking so (laughs) well hopefully i saw a little bit of a spoiler but not not too many all right. Well, hopefully you'll uh, have me back sometime <laughs> yes, in the future. We can I... do the third one and finish this up because yeah, uh, that would be a lot of fun. There's a lot to talk about in that one too. And again, very different, but also very much connected to um, you know sort of all of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm excited to talk about that. I just I now I'm at the point where I'm like I can't stand it. I have to know. So <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm so glad that you chose these films to talk about. Um, I'm definitely excited to cover the next one. Uh, Colin, thank you so much, you know, for coming on the show. And before you go, where, where can people find you? Uh, right. So you can follow me on uh, Twitter at Raptor Colin, a, uh, sorry, R-A-P-T-O-R-C-O-L-L-I-N. And um, that's really it for me. I, <laughs> I'm, uh, that's sort of the only way that I'm available, but it's, um, you can certainly follow me there where I do comment a lot on movies that I love, um, there. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, I really enjoy the community that and I've said this to you before. I enjoy the community that you've created where people get to just talk about the movies they love and it's not negative. Some, some other online movie communities I've been a part of are about people just bashing things they don't like. And, 
I'm not interested in that. If I don't like a movie, I'm, I'm okay with that, but I just, you know, I'm happy that other people might enjoy it. And I, um, I'm glad that, uh, you know, that getting to hear other people share about movies that I love. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. I think that's born out of me being (laughs) non-confrontational and easily, uh, easily, my feelings are easily hurt. (laughs) So it's kind of like, it's a lot easier to, you know, be a part of a group that isn't focusing on the negatives. I mean, I think there's a time and a place for that. I've got opinions. We all have them. Of course. Uh, but yeah, I, I like to keep it light. And, you know, by having this show and by having guests, like you end up watching movies that I, I, I would have never picked up. I I've expressed before that uh, the romance genre is very, you know, like Celine, I I'm not, not a romantic, so I don't usually go for those types of films, but I'm, I'm, I'm so interested uh, to see them from my guest perspective. And I, I can't help but notice, but almost every single time a romance movie is picked, it's usually picked by a male guest, which I think goes <laughs> against the stereotype of that romance movies are like specifically for women. So I kind of, I kind of like that. Um, but yeah, um, thank you so much for coming on and hope to have you back soon. Yeah. Thank you for having me again. I'll take any opportunity I can to talk about these movies and it's always a joy to talk to you. Thank you.